Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Richard Corneliuson. He is the Director of Regional Growth and Economic Development for Clico. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So um, you were just telling me Clico, uh, Central Louisiana Electric. What is, what is it? Central Louisiana Electric Company. Yeah. Started as okay. a uh, ice delivery company uh, almost 100 years ago. And... Uh, Serves about 300,000 customers across 24 churches in mostly central Louisiana, uh, but right up to the New Orleans metro area and uh, is really undertaking a new initiative uh, along with Newmark uh, to grow economic development across its region and in Louisiana. Um, and so they've done a real hard reset, reboot on their strategy. I'm part of that new strategic initiative uh, and we're putting the team together together to go out and work with uh, the state and the regional EDOs to help continue to attract investment in Louisiana. Fantastic. So um, if any of our listeners are familiar with you, they probably know you from OG&E, where you were for, what, nearly 30 years. Yes, correct. I uh, started, I early part of my career was at Apple Computer, and uh, Apple uh, was not you know, what they are today. Otherwise I'd probably still be there and be retired at this point, but, uh, I chose a path <laughs> at the utility with economic development, uh, you know, really around and what economic development really is, is, is consultative or relationship selling it's solution solving, uh, for problems that sometimes you see, and sometimes you don't, you, it allows you to be creative, uh, allows you to work with a variety of stakeholders. And uh, I really latched onto that with my personality style. Um, we had a lot of success. We serve a majority of Oklahoma and Western Arkansas. Uh, so great relationships in both states, but it was unique because I worked with two sets of departments of commerce, uh, everyone from extremely small rural communities and, and how do you approach strate- strategies to, you know, attract investment or can you even attract investment in some of the rural towns and small communities? Uh, and if you can't, what are your other options? You know, maybe entrepreneurship, maybe, uh, incubators. And so there were a lot of, uh, a lot of challenges around that. And then working, uh, with our biggest community of Oklahoma city, which is now one of the top 20 MSAs in the country, uh, Oklahoma city's had a tremendous amount of success, you know, so, you know, worked with a lot of different site location consultants, cited a lot of different projects, um, and uh, had a lot of success there, but it was time for me to take that retirement and move on to the next chapter and Clico uh, afforded me that opportunity. Wow, that's wonderful. So utility companies historically sort of drove economic development. You know, how do you see it today? Are, are you still in the driver's seat or are you following the lead of the communities? How does that part play out? I think it's, it's really an all, <clears throat> excuse me, an all of the above type of strategy because there are communities that you will work with that have a high level of sophistication, very professional staff, great strategies in place, um, have clear vision for what they want to be and what they want to go after. And I think, you know, there it's a much more collaborative 
partnership type of support role. Um, and then you have other communities though, where they really need that guidance. And through the years, throughout my career, you used to have a lot of utilities at the table in terms of support with economic development. And I think that's waned to a large extent through the years. And what has been left for the most part has been the electric utility partner. Um, and I think you see examples of that all across the country with AEP, Duke, TVA, PG&E. There's a lot of big utilities that are heavily, heavily involved with their communities. They're the primary driver in a lot of instances. They're the primary funder in a lot of instances. And they, they tend to bring a level of expertise um, as well as resources. So whether it's GIS resources, data resources, um, the role is really evolving. And I think what utility, I'm sorry, what communities and what state departments of commerce are now looking from the utilities for is not just helping answer RFPs as it relates to, you know, what kind of electrical capacity is there and the general stuff that we do, but really it's much more a question now that communities and states face around, uh, carbon intensity, sustainability, ESG standards. Those are questions that the utilities are helping position communities with, uh, in terms of providing a better answer, because as you know, sometimes consultants will bring projects to the community, they'll bring those projects to the states. Um, and while we never saw those questions five or 10 years ago, they now dominate an RFP as it relates to utility, but it helps position those communities in terms of uh, achieving maybe their net zero standards by 2040, 2050. Uh, utility plays a big role in that. And so for states to be competitive, to continue to attract industry where that's important, as well as communities, utilities got a much broader role in helping achieve those goals. So it's really evolved. It's an exciting time to be in the utility because we're, we're transitioning from sort of a transactional relationship with customers and constituents to much more of a consultative relationship, customer-centric, customer experience approach. Um, and I think everybody in the industry is going through that customer experience approach, uh, mindset now in terms of how do we really align with customers, bring the resources and the solutions they need. And the only way to really do that is to understand. Um, and then we're, I think as an industry, as an economic development industry, we're all looking to learn from each other around best practices, solutions that worked here. And the more exposure we can provide to our practitioners about what worked and allow them to apply that if it works in their situation. One of the things I've learned over the years is just because something worked somewhere and they had success with it, you may not be able to apply it because the environment is different. And so I think being able to differentiate, hey, my environment where I work looks very similar to this environment. And this is where they brought out strategies and programs that really pay dividends. And I want to apply those here. And I've found throughout my career, economic developers are usually, even though we're very competitive, we're very happy to help other professionals grow. And I think at this point in the profession, that's critically important. Interesting. You said a whole number of very interesting things, but I want to go back to that point you made about this customer centric view, and it's no longer transactional. Uh, in the sense that I would imagine that when you say transactional, you mean I need a service, I find whoever, and I pay them to um, do the service, and I don't care about what they're interested in. I care about them providing me with the service, and 
Uh, they don't care about me. They just care about getting my money in exchange for this service. So from your perspective, as this is evolving and changing, how, uh, and talking specifically about like development, how does it look? What does that look like on the ground, you know, specifically? Yeah, I think, you know, two thoughts around that. I'll give you the utility uh, opinion first, and I'll give you the economic development practitioner position. Um, first, from a utility perspective, um, as an industry right now, we all see electrification happening. Um, that equates to uh, ESG standards um, to, uh, for which everybody has a vested interest. Companies, communities, states, countries, everybody's on that right now. And so the utilities play a major role in that. But that inco in incorporates a lot of investment, investment into the grid, investment into new generation around renewables, and also drives up prices. And so everybody's feeling the impact right now around inflation and around higher prices. That's making companies a, a lot more sensitive to what are they getting from the utility. And so if you take an approach about, you know, this is what we charge, you have to take it. We don't really care whether you're successful or not. We're just selling you a product. There are going to be other companies that eventually come in and will take your place. And I think the there are certain utilities that still have that mindset that they're not concerned with that customer experience. And by that, what I mean is how are our customers using our product? What are their expectations? How can we help them be successful? And as utility economic development group, that should be your interest because that equates to community success in retaining current employers, continuing to attract new employers and new investment and new job creations. Um, and then I think long-term you're, you're helping those communities and states achieve whatever their carbon intensity and sustainability goals are. So that's a very different relationship um, that you're going to have with customers and stakeholders than what we've had in the past. And that means being thoughtful, being strategic, being empathetic around how you make decisions and engagement. From an economic development perspective, I think that while we've always been sort of customer focused, um, we, we know what the challenges are around workforce. We know what the challenges are around sites. We know the challenges around supply chains. Never before have we been put into a position to be such problem solvers around a variety of issues. And we just, I think this is a, a pinnacle in the profession and for industry where we're really being faced with existential issues, things that we may not be able to directly impact because in my nearly 30 years of experience, people have talked about workforce for 25 of it. We don't seem to have a great answer anywhere. There are great programs, but I think, you know, we're having to become laser focused and very much consultative sellers and consultative problem solvers to help land projects, locate projects, provide the communities that we represent and the states that we represent with real solutions and then the means to implement them. Because you can come up with like great ideas all day, but if you don't have the resources and the capabilities to implement those, doesn't matter what the plan is, you're not going to be successful. And so I think that's where I go back to as practitioners, how do we collaborate, say, you know, I don't have the resources that maybe an Oklahoma city or a Charlotte, North Carolina has, I'm a small rural community. I've got a completely different set of challenges. We need broadband. 
We need transportation. We need housing. Um, the economic development role now is that kind of consultative problem solver with all of those stakeholder groups. And that's a high level of expectation to put on somebody to manage, uh, to be successful. And I can remember a quote from early in my career, Ronnie Bryant, um, who was one, of, yeah, he's a dynamic speaker. If you've ever heard him speak, he's great to hear. But he said, you know, it's hard to hold an economic development professional responsible for outcomes when we don't have control of every single input. And, but that's really the position that we're placed in because we are the ones that are expected to deliver, yet we're not able to build houses. We're not able to, to, to change uh, unilaterally the way education standards are implemented or career training. And so it's a lot of responsibilities today, but that customer approach is what's going to differentiate, I think, success from failure. Interesting. Because you think that quote that you just said from Ronnie Bryant, that hard to hold us economic developers responsible because they don't have control over the inputs. What you're saying is we need to take a more active role in those inputs. We need to be this collaborative problem solver with all of the people that actually control those inputs so that we can, I guess, take, maybe not take control, but maybe sort of take ownership of these issues in our communities. And um, yeah, and I think yeah. it's, it's a facilitation role too. And so we're all busy with the jobs that we have every day. And it's hard to sometimes look out into the universe and do best case analysis studies or case studies around what worked here and there um, yeah, and, and find that information on our own. But I think a, a responsibility of a good economic developer is to help all of those stakeholders that you reference understand how to be better. And at the same time, I think it's incumbent upon us to understand for ourselves, how can we improve? So am I getting better because I'm helping them collaborate? Am I getting better because I'm helping bring best practices in for outside speakers? I love the idea uh, when communities visit other communities. And I'll, I, 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 even though I'm from Oklahoma City, I think across the country, they're recognized for their maps initiatives and how they really turned Oklahoma city around. And if you don't know that story, um, back in the early eighties, they lost a United airlines center to Indianapolis. And the reason they lost it was because no one wanted to move to Oklahoma city, uh, that worked at United. And so rather than going out and trying to create the next best program, Oklahoma city said, let's just create a better product. Let's invest in ourselves. That's a 25 year process. And so, you know, over the last 20 years, you've seen communities from across the country come in and say, tell us how you did that. How can we learn? But yet at the same time, I know Oklahoma city and Tulsa does this too. Tulsa just got back, I think from, uh, maybe it was Salt Lake they went to, uh, but learning from others, you know, not being so prideful to think that, that my way is the best way. And how do I learn from others? That kind of open collaboration. I think helps us all as an industry, elevates the reputation of what it means to be an economic developer in the eyes of all of our other stakeholders, because now we're better able to provide solutions through our experience. That makes excellent sense. So you've been there at Clico for a couple of months. How did you come into this role? Um, and you know, what did you do first? What are you working on now? How are you putting this together? So COVID really like a lot of other organizations impacted Clico, um, and being we're, we're pretty much the second, uh, 
utility behind Entergy in the state of Louisiana. I worked with uh, members of Entergy's team in Arkansas. I had great relationships with them. And I think utilities, while we do compete again, we're better together, especially as we work to solve some of these problems, but uh, around renewables and sustainability. But Clico, um, for the most part, had really sort of taken a step back from engaging in economic development. And so they weren't seeing the results in terms of growth that they were looking for. And they did an assessment with the assistance of Newmark to say, what is it that we do well? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Where do we change? Where do we improve? And it's one thing to receive that information and it's another to act on it. And Clico acted on it. They had some retirements about uh, 50 to 60 people between the marketing and economic development groups took retirement. Uh, they were absent for a little while from the game. And so I've heard consistently across the board, well, we thought Clico didn't do economic development anymore because they haven't heard from anybody really in the last year. Um, and so Clico, uh, after Hurricane Ida hit Louisiana last year, it really put a pause on this process, but they got restoration done. The communities have bounced back. That's one thing. Very similar to Oklahoma, where you have tornadoes, state of Louisiana, while they do have the risk of hurricanes, is an extremely resilient, uh, disaster-prepared state. Um, I was just at a conference with David Dodd spoke, who, and those of you that know David Dodd know he talks all about resiliency and about how you recover from natural disasters, how you mitigate it, how you get businesses back up. It's not just about restoring power, but it homes that people live in the transportation networks they use to get to work so that companies can get back up and operating. Uh, Louisiana does a really good job with that. So after they recovered from Ida, um, they went to work to put the plan back in place. And that was to start with hiring a director for economic development. Um, and so I was alerted about the opportunity, went through the process, uh, joined them in August. And then as part of that, now we're adding to our team, but our plan over the next few months um, and over the probably course of the next three years is to really build it. In my mind, I want to build a world-class utility economic development department and create a world-class customer experience. So whether it's a company, whether it's a consultant, whether it's a, a small community that needs assistance, your experience with our department needs to be world-class. Um, that's the expectation I have. That's the expectation a customer should have. And that's what we're always going to strive for. It doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes and not always live up to that, but that's our goal. Um, because I think it's incumbent upon us to have that kind of aspiration. And that's what customers, I think, expect. I think we all expect that today in today's environment. You know, Amazon really set the stage for customer expectations. Right. Around, mm -hmm. Where's my product? When will it be delivered? How long is it taking? Why is it delayed? Um, and so the transparency, and that's why I talk about customer experience today, that's uh, reset all of our expectations. Um, I need to be able to get information, whether it's two in the morning or two in the afternoon, whether you're available or not, how can I get the information? And so that's what I'm hoping to build here at Clico. That's awesome because I, yeah, that, that's, that's such a good example of that openness and that transparency, just being able to see, um, you know where we are in the process and, and what's happening. You're right. Amazon has really set a pretty high bar in, you know, this whole, like just interaction with things that we do business with. We want to know at every stage of the process, you know, where are we, how much longer, what, what are we waiting on? 
And if you could provide that, if Clico could provide that, I think that that would be, um, you know, that would be awesome because, you know, we have that experience here in uh, uh, Texas with our utility providers. Some of them, we don't have any idea what's happening. We don't know, um, you know, maybe, maybe there are delays and, and, you know, you're waiting on a phone call or an email, you have to check in. It's just being able to know where exactly you are in the process and, and what the next steps are and what's been done. That, that could be, that's a great example. And that's something that's transferable. I think that, you know, other um, economic development organizations, they could utilize that same sort of um, thing with, you know, a dashboard or some way for, for their, um, the, the people, the businesses, the site selectors, whoever that they're interacting with, they could share that information so that everybody can know where we are in the process. Absolutely. And I can tell you as part of our new initiative, and I've worked with a company and we're not ready to make an announcement around this yet, but I am working with a third-party provider who will do just that, which will allow us as a utility to create spaces where all of our stakeholders and our customers will be able to come in and find out when's that transformer coming or when is this upgrade going to happen? Because it's not just about us providing that service to them. Think about a company in a community who is ready to add a product line. We've got a hundred million, $200 million capital expansion going on. They have customers, they have stakeholders, all of whom are dependent on them. And their dependency is derived from the utility provider or the community or a highway or whatever. So we're, it's not as if we're just dealing with one set of customer and we're only responsible to them. We're really responsible to all of their customers as well, because we're part of that value chain. And so the transparency that we're going to be able to provide to not just our internal stakeholders, but external stakeholders and certain customers is real time, live, up to date information about where is your project? Where is your process? Where is your product? Um, you need something around rates. You need something around capacity. You shouldn't have to email somebody, wait for their response. Hey, I'm on a trade show. I'll get that to you next week. That level of expectation, I think, was fine 15, 20 years ago when we were all sort of adapting to data in the internet. But in today's environment with analytics, uh, artificial intelligence, all the resources that we can make available and provide real time, why wouldn't we strive to do that, right, to help everybody succeed in what is we're just a part of the solution in their world. They don't worry about how our processes work day in, day out. They just want our product when they need it. That transparency allows them to plan. And so we're working diligently right now to build out those platforms because it's not just about economic development for us. It's also a lot about electrification where we're seeing huge pushes as, as our other utilities with electric vehicles, battery storage, gas compression, light duty electric trucks. I mean, all of this is getting ready to come. It's going to impact the grid and people's success in the future is going to be largely dependent on that relationship with the utility. So we're working really hard to build that out for our customers and our community. Excellent. Those are, that's everything you said is excellent and it should be, um, you know, this, that, that information, that idea should be just pushed out and disseminated to everybody. You know, we, we are never the end, you know, as economic developers, we're never the end. Uh, you know, the end goal is not just economic development. It's this general sort of 
idea and utility companies, they're never the end goal. It's not just uh, energy for the sake of energy. Always at the end of the day, there is, um, you know, there are so many different levels and everybody's waiting on everybody else all of the time. And just yes. that idea of transparency, it allows you, it allows people to plan, it allows businesses to, to organize and determine schedules and just, you know, it, you're right. Transparency. That's, that's absolutely key. That's fantastic. There's, advice. there's nothing worse than having to give an update to somebody or report to somebody who <laughs> is one of your stakeholders. And in order for you to get that information, you find out that they're on vacation, they're traveling, they won't be back until, you know, it creates a delay that's just not necessary. And so from my perspective, the more information we can provide without somebody having to track us down to get it and, and you know, I, I go back to the early 90s, and, and if you look at the history of the economic development profession, you take it in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s when you started having, you know, the relocation and expansion of, of uh, from the industrial northeast across the Midwest and west. That was pre-internet. And so the economic developer, the value that the economic developer had was they had all the information. And keeping that information and not sharing that information meant you were a really important person. You had to be contacted. You had to be asked. You had to be included. And that created that, that feeling of importance. Um, in today's environment, I want to make myself as I want to be valuable, but I don't need to be important to the process. I just need to make sure that I'm adding value and so making information available uh, is a full 180 from 50 years ago in this profession where we all felt like it. And we do work in, in confidential arenas. And I think everybody understands that, but as to the extent that you can provide information to your stakeholders as necessary without them having to request it, that gives you a real competitive advantage. Right. Be valuable, not important. That, uh, that's good. Exactly. And, you know, and because the truth is, you know, we all have to ask for a report. We all need updates from things and we all have to, um, you know, we have to ask for updates and we have to give updates. And I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not my favorite thing to do. Either one of those two <laughs> things are not my, my favorite thing yeah. to do. I don't like to have to ask for an update on something. I don't have, like, because I know I'm going to have to wait and I don't like to have to, you know, scramble to put something together for somebody when they need an update. So yeah, both directions, it would, that's would be very useful. Yeah. And that, and especially yeah. in this convergence right now, as we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a lot of reshoring of manufacturing. We have limited mm -hmm. sites. People are needing to move quickly. Interest rates are going up. The fear of a recession in 23, I think is very legitimate. We just saw, uh, you know, inflation is, has not been tamed. The Fed's going to probably continue to raise rates. Imagine planning a hundred million, two hundred million, five hundred million dollar capital investment project, uh, and that you're working on a regional or state level as an economic developer, the anxiety that company is feeling to figure out how to successfully locate and whether or not to move forward with that project, that creates that urgency of information and timeliness. And so, yeah, that's why I go back to, I just in almost thirty years, I've not seen the pinnacle of the need for professionalism and expertise uh, and the role that economic developers will play in success of communities and states and companies, to be quite honest. I mean, if you think about it holistically, 
the U.S. economy is very dependent now on our companies that are here and investments that come here being successful because we are in a global economy. And so, uh, you know, there are a lot of countries, a lot of companies competing for these resources. We need to make sure holistically as the U.S. that we're doing everything we can to put our companies that compete globally in the best position we can. And it's going to be a real challenging, you know, probably 18 to 24 months in the U.S. economy coming up. So uh, you talk about some important responsibility, economic developers, you're going to have to have a little bit of a thick skin in the next two years because you're <laughs> going to be challenged and tested, you know. So let's talk about, uh, let's change gears and let's talk about green hydrogen. I know you guys had a big project recently. Yes, what can we, you tell uh, us about green, green, green hydrogen? Because I get a lot of requests. I get a lot of RFIs for projects that are green hydrogen that want to locate in Texas on the Gulf Coast. So what, what is right. it? And, you know, what's exciting about it? So I was a neophyte. I, I, I really knew nothing about green hydrogen um, three years ago. Um, you know, I'd heard the term hydrogen, but you know, everything was still centered around electric vehicles. And we really hadn't started exploring alternative fuels and alternative energies. And so um, we started getting contacted um, at og &E about some specific opportunities to serve green hydrogen projects. And that's because that process and one of the things I learned, again, I, I sort of jumped in with both feet being this sort of uh, intellectually curious nerd in, in specific industries, which I think I, I talk to people all the time with, you know, a lot of people like mysteries or sports and I like all those things too, but nobody picks up a book to read about green hydrogen just in their spare time or blockchain technology, uh, unless you just sort of are an innate nerd and I have that in me. And so I, I do study these things to just try and be a better professional. And so I really jumped in to understand the industry and I understood that they have different levels of hydrogen. There's green, there's blue, there's gray, and all of those equate to the production process. The production process of green hydrogen is not overly complicated. It's separating the molecules of water. Um, and the electrolyzers that do that process use a tremendous amount of electricity to produce the hydrogen. And there are other companies that take it from a hydrogen state into a pneumonia state. So there's even that. What I found was the definition of green hydrogen in some instances is defined by the producer. And in other instances, it's defined by the offtaker. So the offtaker, for example, may be completely comfortable with the electricity being provided through renewable energy credits. Other off-takers will only accept additionality in generation of renewables to provide to that project. And so it's really a blended definition of, so one of the questions I ask now around green hydrogen, is that your definition or is that an off-taker's definition? And what does it mean to each of you? Because sometimes a company will say something different than what an offtaker. So understanding that industry first, I think, helps have those conversations. And so as we were approached, one of the companies, and it's public now, uh, Woodside out of Australia, Woodside Energy out of Australia, who's the largest natural gas provider in Australia, uh, was looking to site a project uh, in the U.S. And because of our electricity rates, obviously, we were in the mix. Going through that process with the consultants, dealing with a company located in Perth, Australia, and being in Oklahoma City, took about 18 months and probably 250 different sample bill scenarios. 
talking about every single which way we could divide up a bill, provide generation resources, how we would serve it, where we would serve it from, working with the SPP, who's the regional transmission organization. Um, it became really involved and it should be really involved because this is a nearly $800 million CapEx project, 300 up to 550 megawatts of load. So it's extremely significant. And in order to cite a project like that, you've got to have great state partnerships. You've got to have great local partnerships and really have communities that are able to manage projects of that scope and not every community is at that level. Fortunately, we had that in Oklahoma, so we were able to find a really strong site in Ardmore, Oklahoma, close to the Dallas market, midway between Oklahoma City and Dallas, right on Interstate 35, which is a really growing corridor all the way from San Antonio up to Kansas City. In fact, one of the fastest growing corridors in the country. Um, and so they made the location decision to put the project in Ardmore, Oklahoma. They're spending this past year, all of 2022 is the feed study to do the financial analysis, building towards a final investment decision. Even though I'm not there with OGE or uh, working in Ardmore anymore, um, it's one of those things that you feel like this is one of my career defining project locations. And so I really hope that the project decides to finally move forward and, and, and go into full production. So. Uh, just having those conversations with these companies, understanding what their needs are, who they're going to serve, who their off takers are, what's important to them, allowed us that as we started to get other inquiries around hydrogen and ammonia projects to really be in a strong position to have those conversations. Because if you understand, and this is where I talk about customer experience, if you talk, if you talk to them and you speak their language and you know what their pain points are, you're, you're a much better advocate for them to find a solution than if you aren't sure what they're meeting, don't understand, haven't heard of it, unclear. And the, the time with which projects move now, especially in this space, because they're all racing to get to market, because these projects will come on line, line probably late 24 through 25, 26. You've got renewables coming into the market, which there's a huge appetite for across the board to serve this industry. But it creates, from a utility perspective, it creates some unique opportunities because um, what's really important to utilities, we've seen it in Texas, we've seen it in other areas of the country, we've seen it in California, the grid can get very stressed at certain times, especially as temperatures go up. Customers that have the ability to shift load or curtail load are very good customers for the utility because it helps them from a capacity standpoint. These electrolyzers, very much like crypto mining, which we've seen an explosion of the last year, 18 months, uh, have the ability to curtail and can ramp up and ramp down very quickly. Well, that provides a lot of benefits to the grid, which means it provides benefits to the state and the community as they look to mitigate things. Because when you have heat waves or when you have cold snaps, the utilities, while most people don't think day in, day out about them, that's front and center, right? Nobody wants to lose power when it's 100 degrees and nobody wants to lose power or heat when it's minus five. And so uh, these are good customers from a utility perspective. And I see this industry continuing to grow. The, the value chain, supply chain around the renewable industry and alternative fuels, I think is a good mix for an all of the above strategy as we look to 
you know, mitigate, you're seeing a lot of carbon capture now. Clico has its own billion dollar carbon capture project called Project Diamond Vault. Um, there was a huge announcement here in Louisiana yesterday with ExxonMobil and TF Industries for, uh, I think it was 2 million metric tons a year of carbon capture in a pipeline um, to help Louisiana hit its net zero by 2050 goals. And, and this is an exciting time because this is where investments are happening. And so from an economic development perspective, as we look at what industries are growing and what are the companies that we're trying to attract, this is an industry that serves all of the other industry sectors because it's got importance to manufacturing, food, distribution, logistics, you name metal, metals, chemicals, aviation. Everybody has an interest in carbon intensity and carbon impact. And so... These are the, uh, the melding, if you will, of, of lots of philosophies into one, um, you know, sort of strategic and holistic approach to solving problems. And so that's why I think it's a great time to be in utility economic development because we are leading conversations uh, across industries and with companies. And of course, that equates to jobs and capital investment for our community. Richard, this has been fascinating. You have really illustrated, I think, this idea of really caring about your customers and understanding not only what they're doing, but what their pain points are, their challenges are, what the opportunities are for them so that you can better serve them. I could just listen to you all day because you have some really <laughs> great ideas on this. This, is, this has been wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to do that? Because I, you seem like you're just full of all of this, that you have so much to share. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I guess with old age comes experience and sometimes with experience cause comes wisdom. And, um, I look for mentors throughout my career and I certainly feel like at the latter stages of my career now, that's my responsibility. And, and I've always loved the aspect of coaching. Um, I coached kids in little league. I coached at the high school level as a volunteer, um, trying to impart you know, knowledge to other people. I was an adjunct professor for 15 years. Um, I just enjoy that process of helping people learn, grow, and understand because I've always appreciated it when it was provided to me. No, uh, nobody falls into this knowing everything. And the more collaborative we can be, I think the more successful we all are. But it's really rewarding at this point in my career to be able to be a resource to people. So I'm really active on LinkedIn, or at least I try to be as much as, as time allows. So I'm always available on LinkedIn, but I would certainly welcome emails, uh, phone calls. Uh, I'm happy to talk to anybody and everybody about ways to improve our profession, ways a utility can be better, things that we can think about differently. Um, and so I, I'm, a, I'm still a student, even though I like to be, be able to be a, an advocate and a coach as well. So uh, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, just under Richard Corneliuson with Clico. Uh, my email is richard.corneliuson at clico.com. Um, and then uh, you can find my, my email, phone number, all that stuff online. So yeah, I'm always available, happy to talk to people. Uh, I missed collaborating with colleagues the past couple of years uh, because of COVID. I know we're getting back into it now. Uh, we have a professional organization very similar to IEDC called the Utility Economic Development Association. Uh, it's a great group of utility professionals across the country. While I love going to IEDC and learning from other professionals, nothing has taken the place for me of the UEDA 
uh, knowledge because there's nothing like collaborating with people who actually live and breathe the exact same stuff that you do day in, day out. Um, and utility, I think, is a unique position to be in because we do touch so many aspects of the profession. Um, and that's been a great resource for me. And I've, I've given presentations there, but every single time I attend a conference, I learn from somebody new. And, and it's not always somebody who's been in it 30 years. It's, it could be somebody who's been in it five years who's really coming in with a fresh set of eyes where I'm learning. I'm saying, oh, I need to think about it this way because, you know, we see it in workforce today. I know for, for our company, one of the first questions that every applicant asks is, is there an opportunity for this position to be remote? Um, and you think about that, about how we fill manufacturing jobs when people want to work remotely. Well, you've got to have people at facilities, um, but yet people want to be remote. Um, and so how is that desire for remote work going to impact how manufacturers approach doing their business? What kind of artificial intelligence and automation are they going to be incorporating? And then as a utility person, I go, well, that's going to use more power. That's a great, that's a great problem right. to have, right? Because our, <laughs> our job is to grow loads. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, I love your platform. I love the audience that you reach uh, because I think it's another opportunity to learn from peers in our profession. So I, I would welcome uh, people contacting me. Well, good. I hope that they do. I, you just, you obviously are such a resource. I'm giving me, and there's so many things I have to pull out of this interview and implement myself <laughs> and, uh, you know, share with other people because, and, and honestly, you're the first utility economic developer I've ever, ever spoken to in this podcast. And yeah. I kind of was wondering what, where this conversation was going to go as we came into this, but I want to ask you if somebody said, I want to be an economic developer or I'm a very new economic developer, should I give me the pros and cons of going to work for a utility company as an economic developer? What would you say? Well, yeah, through my career, we've all seen this. Yeah, community economic developers are a lot like coaches um, or city managers. Sometimes those tend to be short-lived experiences, but that just because they're short-lived doesn't mean they're a bad experience. I think every experience you learn something from, you learn what to avoid, you grow. Um, the utility experience is great because you literally touch every aspect of rural communities, mid-sized communities, urban communities, you get to work across industries. Um, you are providing a product which is essential to everyday life. It sustains life. It powers life. Um, everybody has to have it. And so you play a really important role. There are, you know, whether you're a state employee, whether you're a regional economic developer, a local economic developer, community college or technical school, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to improve the quality of people's lives. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, what's the most rewarding thing you can think about in your profession? And I said, you know, it's probably something that I'm not really even aware of, but I probably helped at some point in my career locate some companies where somebody is working today who doesn't know me from a man on the moon, but yet they have a job, they provide for their family, they contribute to their community. And that was a result of a group of stakeholders and economic developers working to make that happen. And so that's how we grow and improve the quality of people's lives. It's how we increase the wealth in the community. Um, and I think that's all of our aspirational goals is to help people improve their lives. Couldn't have said it better myself. Excellent. 
Richard, thank you so much for coming on today. I've learned so much and I hope that our listeners have too. And I uh, really hope that as, as things get more and more back to normal, we can meet up in person at some point. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And, and keep up your work because I know that you have a full-time day job too, but I think this, uh, this podcast and the information that you provide on a weekly basis, um, I think it, it does go to uh, and impact a lot of people probably more than you know. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for the time too. Thank you. Thank you. That was very kind. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.